1: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show.
2: Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. We're glad to have you with us. I say us because Clark Hilton is here. He's engineering today's program. James Blend is producing. Now, if you're just joining us on Fridays, we like to lighten up. We take a look at some of the news stories that we wouldn't normally cover during the course of a more serious week, and we distill them all down to in what we hope will be a fun Friday afternoon program. One of the reasons we do this, uh, I read a Newsmax story just the other day. It says we're all getting grumpier. Uh, the Global Happiness Report says that Americans are getting grumpier. We're now ranked 14th Americans are looking for happiness in all the wrong places. Well, there's no big news story there. That's been the case for quite some time. But the uh, report says that the satisfaction level of U.S. citizens is plummeting, and your best chance to find happiness may be to relocate to Scandinavia. Now, most of us can't relocate to Scandinavia, and my guess is we just take our grumpiness with us. But it goes on to say those surprise findings come from the United Nations 2017 World Happiness Report. And we know if the United Nations produced it, it's got to be reliable. It's uh, named Norway, the happiest nation, followed by Scandinavian neighbor Denmark. Iceland, settled by Scandinavians, is the third happiest country, followed by Finland, Switzerland, and the Netherlands. Another Scandinavian country, Sweden, is in 10th place. Contentment in the United States, meanwhile, seems to be down in the dumps. Just over a decade ago, the U.S. was ranked the third happiest among the world's wealthiest nations. In a survey of more than 150 countries, it barely cracks the top 15 14th place. And according to Jeffrey Sachs, the Columbia University economist who wrote the U.S. portion of the report, America is likely to slide further. The United States offers a vivid portrait of a country that is looking for happiness in all the wrong places. Well, you're not going to find happiness on the Georgine Rice Show, but you might find a couple of laughs on this Friday program. If you are grumpy, you are in the right place because we're going to take a look at the lighter side of the news, the stuff that you don't hear about day to day. Uh, that... Uh, Well, doesn't contribute to our happiness or lack of grumpiness. By the way, among the report's findings, Russia barely makes the top 50, placing number 49 with... 5.96 rating. Despite its powerful economy, Japan is just 51st among nations when it comes to happiness levels. Costa Rica is the happiest nation among Latin American countries, placing uh, 12th at 7.07. Occupying the bottom spot in the rankings is the Central African Republic of Chad. It's a landlocked country with an average per capita GDP of about $650 a year. Its happiness level is uh, just 2.69. Now these numbers are difficult to interpret and how they define happiness as opposed to how you and I might. Um, again, it, it's not all that useful, but I thought for the purposes of today's program, to suggest that Americans are getting grumpier might serve our purpose anyway. <laughs> also in the bottom five are, um, the, are three countries that have been racked by internal strife, Syria, Burundi, and Rwanda, along with Tanzania. Other war-torn countries near the bottom of the rankings include South Sudan, Yemen, and Afghanistan. So there you have it. We're grumpy. We're going to try to fix at least a little of that today on the Georgine Rice Show. Well, this might explain why, at least uh, in part, uh, folks here in the United States are grumpy. The headline simply read, Earth could be hit by surprise asteroid strike. So Earth could be hit, that's a big if, by a surprise asteroid. So we wouldn't know it was coming if, in fact, it were ever to come because it could or it could not. The astrophysicist has uh, warned, or rather an astrophysicist has warned that Earth could be hit with a surprise asteroid strike. Okay, it could also, you know, run into another planet. Who who knows? Professor Alan Fitzsimmons, an astronomer at the Queens University Belfast Astrophysics Research Center, wow, uh, highlighted the threat ahead of uh, Asteroid Day on June the 30th. What a coincidence that Asteroid Day is approaching, and we now know that um, Earth could be hit by a surprise asteroid. Now, if it's a surprise, I don't know how we know it could, but... There you have it. Fitzsimmons reportedly warned that it is uh, uh, a case of when rather than if an asteroid collision will happen. June the 30th marks the 109th anniversary of the Let's see, Tunguska event in Siberia. That's the largest ever recorded explosion of a space object plunging to Earth. The blast, which was uh, later attributed to a comet or asteroid fragment, is generally estimated to have been about 10 megatons. No injuries were reported, but some 80 million trees, 830 square miles, were leveled. So if you are looking for something to worry about, this could happen. It could be a surprise or it might not happen at all. Speaking of grumpy, the Pillsboro. The Pillsbury Doughboy is now forcing a small bakery to change its name. Clearly, the Pillsbury Doughboy, a bit grumpy. Uh, he isn't laughing right about now. General Mills, which owns Pillsbury, why do I say Pillsbury? Pillsbury, <laughs> Pillsbury um, threatened legal action against a small family-owned bakery in New Mexico over its name. Albuquerque Journal reports. Uh, Doughboy's Bake Shop, Doughboy's, so the Pillsbury Doughboy, apparently it's too similar. Doughboy's Bake Shop opened in Albuquerque in January of this year. Just two weeks later, the owners, Claudia and Mike, uh, they received a cease and desist letter from the General Mills over the Doughboy trademark. Now, Doughboy can mean, you know, a baker or baked goods. It can also mean someone who served in World War I, but we won't get into that. The cease and desist order was the beginning of a month's long dispute between the two companies. But because of legal cost, the bakery couldn't afford to fight it. Instead, the owners applied for a trademark that were but were ultimately denied. This left them with only one other option. Change the name. We felt so bullied, said Claudia, one of the owners. The first reaction is to throw a fit, but... What can you do against a corporation like that, the Pillsbury Doughboy? The bakery was given 180 days to change all signage and branding, which is uh, going to cost them about $10,000, they estimate. Uh, While they uh, they haven't come up with a new name yet, uh, they're uh, extra cautious so that they don't find themselves in a similar situation. Uh, To help choose the new name, the owners are holding a name change contest. We want it to be good, but it has to be... um, Super original, so not just original, but super original. One name I like, she says, uh, but my husband is not super fond of, is Alba Cakery. They live in Albuquerque. They name it Alba Cakery. Claudia said, the bakery was originally named after Claudia's father, whose nickname was Little Doughboy. So it had nothing to do with the Pillsbury version. It had to do with her dad. Well, General Mills has gone after businesses in the past over the Doughboy name. Last year, Mister Dough Girl. Uh, Salt Lake City Bakery was re- had also received a cease and desist letter from the company. But rather than go through an expensive legal battle, the owners decided to change the bakery's name, the consumerist reports. However, Pillsbury, they didn't uh, invent the term doughboy. While the company has been uh, using the name since 1965, the term was previously used to refer to American soldiers during World War I. And goes back more than 150 years when a baker's apprentice had been a doughboy. According to the consumerist, we worked closely with the bakery owners to reach a mutually acceptable acceptable agreement to resolve the misuse of our trademark, which we have owned for more than 50 years, General Mills spokesman said in a statement. So they worked closely to come up with a mutually acceptable agreement that will cost the losers about $10,000. Wow. Don't mess with the doughboy. I think that would be the moral of the story. Fifteen minutes after four o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back 21 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Clark Hilton is engineering today's program. Well, some folks in Oregon might not want to ask when served an elk burger or a venison steak where the meat came from under a roadkill bill that was passed overwhelmingly by the legislature. They've been hard at work in Salem and signed by the governor. Motorists who crash into animals, the animals that they could also eat, can now harvest the meat to eat. It is the roadkill bill. It's what's for dinner under a new Oregon law. It's not as unusual as people might think about 20 other states also allow people rather to take meat from animals killed by vehicles. Aficionados say roadkill can be high quality grass fed grub. Eating rope kill is healthier for the consumer than meat taken rather laden with antibiotics, hormones, and growth stimulants, as most meats are today. Noted the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, who would prefer that we eat them under no circumstance. However, Washington State began allowing the salvaging of deer and elk carcasses a year ago. Pennsylvania might top the... Uh, uh, the country in road kills with Oregon's wildlife officials telling lawmakers that the eastern state had over one hundred and twenty six thousand vehicle wildlife accidents in 2015. You don't want to just pull over and, you know, pick up something on the side of the road. These are animals that you yourself are responsible for colliding with. So you know how fresh Uh, The meat is Uh, we are at or near the top of the list. We have a lot of roads and a lot of deer, says Travis Lau. He's a spokesman for the Pennsylvania Game Commission, though he added the total number was uncertain, but they think around 126,000 vehicle accidents. And that's just in 2015. Well, Pennsylvania can take deer or turkey that are killed on the road if they report the incident to the commission within 24 hours, Lau said In a television uh, interview, Governor Kate Brown signed Oregon's bill last week after the Senate and House passed it without a single nay vote. But a few Oregonians voiced opposition. Vivian Kirkpatrick-Piker, or Pilger, a Republican Party official in mountainous, forested Josephine County, told lawmakers that people have been salvaging roadkill meat in Oregon for years since vehicles and animals have been colliding, and they never needed a law or a permit uh, to do it. The problem is if you're caught with a deer that you collided with and you don't have a permit, uh, that could uh, create a problem. But she's right. You haven't had to have one up to this point. And to assume that the death of the animal occurred because of a collision might be more difficult to prove than one might think. Actually, the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife said that before last week, the only people allowed to keep roadkill were licensed fur takers, and no one, not even licensed hunters, could keep game animals found as roadkill. Well, the rules were aimed at discouraging people from hitting a game animal with their vehicle in order to take the meat or antlers. It's not a legal method of hunting, the department's website says. Well, the uh, community... Of beaver near the northwest coast told lawmakers that roll kill would not be palatable much less pass any sense of health standards for human consumption but those who are uh, sampled it to say otherwise todd tovin of castle rock colorado posted a video on youtube showing himself carving up the deer that he had uh, that rather had been hit by a vehicle on the highway and finished off by a deputy sheriff's bullet Toven uh, tovin made it into the venison made the the deer into venison sausage. A lot of uh, people who uh, don't hunt hear the word roadkill and they get turned off, he says. We're talking perf- about perfectly clean cold meat. Well, Oregon's new law calls for the State Fish and Wildlife Commission to adopt rules for the issuance of permits for the purpose of salvaging meat of human consumption from deer and elk that have been accidentally killed in a vehicle collision. The first permits are to be issued no later than the 1st of January 2019. So don't go rushing out because it's going to be a while before this is possible. The uh, antlers must be handed over to the state's wildlife agency of that um, roadkill. That is, if you ever have contact with the agency. Well, more parents have admitted mistakenly trying to feed their children dog food after a pet snack pack featuring a well-known kid's cartoon was put next to chips in a supermarket. <laughs> well, the store owners have apologized after dozens of horrified parents have said they bought the Scooby snacks for their youngsters from the uh, uh, save this um, pack and save this uh, week at the store and, um, to eat at school and kindergarten. So it was, it was right next to the, you know, potato chips and other things. They say they were shocked to discover the 30-gram individual um, carob snack treats were, well, never intended for human consumption, but were animal snacks. So they're animal snacks that are sweetened with carob chips, which tastes... Similar to not at all alike, but similar to chocolate, notices have gone up around the uh, the preschool, and the staff are checking lunch boxes to make sure children aren 't eating the wrong food. I wondered why my boy didn 't like the taste of them. Posted one parent on Facebook, one parent popped a doggy treat in her uh, mouth after um, her child rejected it. I got these today, not knowing they were dog food and tried to uh, tried giving one to my one year old luckily he wasn 't hungry, and I ended up eating one and spitting it right back out, followed by reading the packet a bit more. Another parent said she bought a Scooby Snack multi-pack on Tuesday during her weekly shopping, believing it was children's food. I was absolutely mortified when I gave them to my daughter. She took one bite and said, this is rubbish. Wow, what kid says rubbish? Anyway, I looked at the pack closely and gasped. Oh no, I'm so sorry, I just fed you dog food. She said many people had been caught out by the placement of the pet food multi-pack next to similar style chips multi-packs. Yet another parent admitted feeding their children uh, the snacks, which the children enjoyed. Hmm. Well, the multi-pack of shaped biscuits uh, snacks called Scooby-Doo and featuring the same cartoon character is also available in supermarkets. Antoinette Laird, head of the external relations foodstuff uh, that actually does the displays at the pack and stave market displayed the dog treats in its aisle of value area and the bin was clearly labeled as pet treats but some customers mistook them for human food because of their proximity the store relocated the product to the pet food aisle and was has since decided to withdraw the product from sale and return it to the supplier altogether Well, the product packaging states the product is pet food pro- product only human friendly but not recommended on reflection we can see how the cartoon character on the packaging might be confused We apologize for any distress that this caused to anyone who bought the product by mistake and will happily offer a refund to any customer in that position. Now, you have a, what, a two-year-old. Have you ever accidentally fed your lovely little girl the wrong food, like the Scooby snacks that were intended for uh, pet consumption?
3: No, that's never happened. Never I don't, I don't even know how you'd accidentally have something like that happen. <laughs> I
2: know there are Scooby snacks that you can buy for people. They're intended for people. And I guess if these are sitting next to other chips and, you know, finger food like that, if you didn't look why? carefully, you might. <laughs> that's a good question. Why was it there? It, these were all sale items, so they were on special, and that's why they grouped them together. But, wow, that would, uh, that would be a little upsetting. The other question is, why do they put carob chips in dog food? Dogs are. Not, uh, do dogs really like what, chocolate? Or chocolate I don't know what like
3: carob chips. Are. Carob
2: is a um, sort of a health food version of chocolate. If you don't wait, want to use. Uh, wait a
3: minute. There's a topic itself. There's a health food version yes, of chocolate.
2: Yes, uh, there is, and I've I've tried cooking with it. There was a period of time when Dan Rice didn't eat sugar of any kind, and I tried to learn to make things that would be acceptable to him. Every single one of them was, quite frankly, nasty. But I tried cooking with carob, and it just does not measure up to Mm. chocolate. But, you know, if you're trying to be healthful, you adapt to it. Is he uh,
3: off that diet now?
2: Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he will have sugar from time to time. Scooby snacks. We won't be (sighs) tasting or testing those here anytime soon. Well, the world's ugliest dog contest in California is celebrating the inner beauty and imperfections of man's best friend, on Friday, Now that's a beauty contest I could win. The inner beauty and imperfections of man's best friend. Well, the pooches, many of which are adoptive or previously adopted because they're just too ugly for most people, will face off in a red carpet walk and faux paw F-A-U-X-P-A-W, fashion show, organizer said. The contestants are judged on first impressions, unusual attributes, personality, and audience reaction. Again, this is a contest I might do well in. A blind chihuahua, Chinese crested mix, uh, mix, I guess that's the name of the thing, named um, Sweepy, and that's with uh, no T, Sweepy Rambo, bested 16 other homely hounds in last year's competition and walked away with $1,500, a trophy and a flight to New York for media appearances with her owner. The then 17-year-old champion proved that third time's the charm after falling short in the competition twice before. By celebrating inner beauty, organizers said they hope to showcase that all dogs, regardless of their physical appearance, can be lovable additions to any family, except for mine. Contest rules prevent owners from intentionally altering their animals to enhance appearance for the purpose of the contest. For all, it's only $1,500. These pooches are celebrated for their natural ugliness, organizers said. Besides the main crown, the Spirit Award is presented to a dog and owner who have overcome obstacles to provide service to their community, organizers say. The competition has been held in Petaluma, get it, Petaluma, for more than 50 years. We'll be back.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back 35 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, seven pounds of live snails from Italy were found by U.S. Customs and Border Protection agriculture specialists in Philadelphia earlier this month. Well, the snails, which were in a package en route to Hartford, Connecticut, were discovered by federal agents earlier this month near the Philadelphia International Airport. The um, gastropod mollusks, Uh, were found in a parcel labeled shoes and honey. I'm not sure who wears snails for shoes or considers them honey, but a U.S. Department of Agriculture researcher classified the creatures as the uh, chocolate-branded snail. The snail, which is mostly found in the Mediterranean region, poses a significant threat to vineyards, uh, garden plants, and agricultural crops, they say. Um, It is edible and sold for food, but... Escapees can create a problem. Seven pounds of live snails is a unique find and an example of the vigilance demonstrated by Customs and Border Protection agricultural specialists in protecting our nation's agricultural industries. That's absolutely true. The uh, specialists are our nation's frontline agriculture pro- uh, protectors, and they take their job very seriously. They confiscated the snail shipment and sent in, uh, sent a violation to the person responsible for the receipt of the package because the parcel was mislabeled. Seven pounds of snails can change everything. Now, I found this hard to believe, but it's in print, so maybe it's true. Strange but true. The number who believe chocolate milk comes from brown cows isn't the most disturbing result Of a survey taken uh, recently, 7% of Americans thinking that chocolate milk comes from, well, brown cows. Of course it does. Oh, dear. The Innovation Center for U.S. Dairy conducted a survey of more than 1,000 adults, 18 and over, in April of this year. They uncovered some shocking facts about how people think about and drink milk. First off, 48% of respondents said that they aren't sure where chocolate milk comes from. (laughs) Well, of course, It comes from cows when you have to doctor it to make it chocolate. But still 7% of people, and remember this survey uh, talked to actual grown-up adults, still think that chocolate milk only comes from brown cows. Actually, chocolate milk gets its flavor and color from cocoa beans. You knew that, right, Clark? No. (laughs) No. You can dismiss the 7% figure as a function of the margin of error and trolling by respondents, as some people probably found the question so amusing that they answered brown cows just to mess up the pollster. But what do you do, though, with the 48% who don't know where chocolate milk comes from? Do they think flavored water comes from a naturally occurring raspberry-flavored spring? How do they cope with the mysteries of regular coffee with its strange, not-quite-milk, not-quite-black-coffee color and texture? Is there a mystery around that? And what about peanut butter and jelly? How do the peanuts have room to grow with all that jelly inside the shell?
3: Well, now you're just being silly.
2: <laughs> okay, chocolate milk. Explain it. Go.
3: What do you mean, explain it? Where does Didn't chocolate milk come from? did you just explain it?
2: Where does chocolate milk come from?
3: From brown cows. Exactly. Thank you.
2: According to a customer in Europe, IKEA sells bowls that uh, will cook your food for you.
3: Now that's an invention. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Richard Walter of Sweden, you know, where they're really, really happy. He claims he was sitting on his porch eating grapes out of an IKEA metal uh, bowl when he suddenly recognized the smell of smoke in the air. He tells the Swedish tabloid, the name of which I will not attempt to mispronounce. At first, he thought the smoke was emanating from a neighbor's grill, but he described the smoke as having a sharper scent. ...than that of a barbecue. Looking down at the grapes in the bowl, he soon became aware that the stems had begun smoldering. <laughs> now, this is, this is supposed to be news. I, I'm guessing it was a very hot day. The bowl was really hot. In it, Sweden? I, I I don't know. I mean, do you think it was a cold day and all of a sudden it started, <laughs> Um, I saw it was burning in the grape bowl, he says. I, he's uh, just a resident there, I guess.
3: Burning How in the grape possible? bowl. How is that possible?
2: How is that possible, he thought. Uh, Then I saw there was one intense point where the sun hit the twigs and that's where it started. Well, according to Walter, the shape and reflective surface of Ikea's um, stainless steel bowl, which is made from stainless steel and comes in three different sizes, in case you're looking, combined in uh, focus sun's energy uh, to focus the sun's energy on the grape stems causing the smoke. This is a news story. Uh, Walter uh, later Took to Facebook to reenact his experience, which I'm sure was fascinating. And seemingly the uh, Bland Up Blank, that's the name of the bowl, appears to burn a scrap of newspaper with nothing more than the power of the sun. Imagine that. The sun beating down on something and creating a hot spot and igniting something that's flammable. Wow, this is like fascinating.
3: Using micro, uh, magnifying, <laughs> magnifying glasses glass. to uh, yeah. catch ants on fire.
2: Walter's caption reads, For those who have difficulty believing, when it suddenly started burning in my grapes on the balcony, I made a small experiment to clarify clarify how it all went. He also clarified that he used IKEA's 20 centimeter Blanda Blank bowl in the video, in case there was any question.
3: Is that really what it's called, or you're just using it? Yeah, that's apparently what they call it. A Blanda Blank? A Blanda Blank.
2: A Blank. Uh, A spokesperson for IKEA has since responded to the claim, telling uh him and others that the company is planning to carry out their own tests why, why would you carry out a test a hot bowl might see something smolder what, what what's the issue here is this a
3: safety thing or are they actually trying to come up with a way to maybe cook some of their meatballs in there <laughs>
2: that's a good question we take this information very seriously and will now investigate what happened oh, you could, a- any fifth grader could tell you what <laughs> what happened it's a science experiment well, IKEA's Blanda Blank Bowls currently sell for between $1.99 and 11.99. The company's Blanda Bowls are also available in bamboo or glass varieties. You can find that out by Airport Way if you're interested. In, yeah,
3: let's go. Just We're halfway there from here.
2: Take it outside and let the uh, sun beat down on it. Well, Michelin has you developed... You can do that
3: this weekend.
2: Yeah, you would need you a bowl. might be able to cook some grapes <laughs> Just in Just put there. it on your leg and it'd probably do the same. <laughs> uh, Michelin has developed a new way to change a tire. Its vision concept is an airless twill that's with a T, T—twill made from 3D printed bio source materials that allow for new and different treads to be applied to it as they wear down or um, as the seasons change. So it's this composite that you can alter along the way. It's designed to mimic the structure of coral. Uh, It is stiff at the center and gets gradually softer as it approaches the outside edge. With its rechargeable tread design, the thickness of the outside layer can be thinner than the typical tire, which makes it more efficient to to, uh, produce and to operate. Well, the biodegradable vision was engineered with uh, embedded sensors that monitor its condition and integrate with a uh, mobile app that uh, owners would use to schedule an appointment to have it recharged as they as they call it, or have the tread redesigned, updated as necessary, such as when uh, winter comes, uh, you could not, uh, you could, instead of changing your tires, you could have, uh, you know, the treads put in it differently or the studs put in it. Uh, there are no plans for production yet, but Michelin currently sells a more conventional non-pneumatic wheel, that's with a T, <laughs> uh, for skid steer loaders, uh, riding mowers, and golf carts. So imagine that, you'd never have a flat tire. In fact, you'd never have to replace the tire, you'd just simply have it Uh, What did they call it? um, Recharged. So the tweel, it's the wave of the future. Of course, you won't be driving yourself anyway. They'll be uh, automated. So who knows? Now, this I found more puzzling than anything else. But just days after a mistrial that declared uh, Bill Cosby's uh, trial uh, again, a mistrial, Bill Cosby is planning a motivational speaking tour to warn young athletes and even married men about the dangers of. Um, these kinds of allegations, a motivational tour. What? Yeah, it's a, it's a true story. Those attorney fees
3: must be expensive.
2: He wants to get back to work, his spokesman said, uh, speaking on Good Day Alabama. We're now planning town halls, and we're going to be coming to this city, Birmingham, sometime in July to talk to young people because this is bigger than Bill Cosby. Um, yeah. Uh, by the way, prosecutors have vowed to retry, to retry him. As again, a mistrial uh, was declared in the only trial that could move forward because the statute of limitations had expired on all the others. And I think there are upwards of 60 uh, others who have uh, made allegations. I don't think a motivational tour is probably the best way I, to go. I wouldn't think so. Yeah, it's just, just my thought on the subject. We're going to come back. I know lots of kids are um, well, they're out of school. That's a lot of time, you know, hanging out. We'll let you know what a new study says about teens and whether or not they're moving enough to be healthy later in life. That and more when we return. By the way, portions of today's program are brought to you, ladies and gentlemen, by Zero Res.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back 49 minutes after 4 o'clock. Can you believe it? Forty nine minutes after four o'clock. It's almost quitting time. (laughs) Well, I wasn't thinking of that, but okay, maybe I was. Just oh, come on! I got to go see Dan Rice. Well, I uh, was uh, read with interest. uh, The Star Telegram had a piece that uh, headline read: "Teens are getting as little exercise as sixty-year-olds," and they say you should blame the schools. Although I can't, uh, I can't say I agree with that. Do they really have
3: PE? programs I anymore. don't know it, I don't yeah. know but when
2: I was a kid I didn't rely on PE to get most of my exercise you know we were more active and just outside there are reasons why kids aren't so much today and it it isn't just that they've got their faces buried in screens there are other reasons parents are not quite as comfortable leaving their kids roaming the countryside but a new study conducted by researchers from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health in Baltimore looked at more than twelve thousand five hundred people exercise habits by having them wear fitness trackers for a week, that's only a week, but when they separated that data by age, they found something alarming about teenagers. Activity levels at the end of adolescence were alarmingly low, and by age 19, They were comparable to 60-year-olds. Now, I take exception to the reference to 60-year-olds, but I think you get the point. Children between ages 5 and 17 are supposed to get 60 minutes of moderate to vigorous exercise in a day, according to the World Health Organization guidelines. People 18 and older should get 150 minutes of exercise per week, about 20 minutes a day. More than 25% of boys, 50% of girls between age 6 and 11 Didn't meet those guidelines and 50% of boys, 75% of girls between 12 and 19 didn't meet the threshold either. For school age children, the primary window for activity was the afternoon between two to six. And for most kids, that's after school. So the big question is, how do we modify daily schedules in school, for example, to be more conducive to increasing physical activity? Well, teens aren't the only ones spending too much time on the couch, if that's where they're spending time activity trends to uh, uh, rather tends to increase from the teenage low as an adult um, as they're in their 20s but then activity levels steadily drop off at every other age level according to the study men hmm. tended to be more active than women in early to midlife but then experienced a sharp drop off with women trending uh, to be more active than men over age 60 now the goal of this whole campaign in trying to keep track of what uh, young people are doing was aimed at increasing physical activity and has focused on increasing higher intensity exercise. The study suggests that these efforts should consider time of day and also focus on increasing lower intensity physical activity and reducing inactivity. Now, when you were a kid, you and I are are at least a decade apart, maybe a little more, but when you were a kid... Did you spend a lot of time riding your bike, hanging out outside, playing?
3: Yeah, I did. I remember I was trying to think back through this. So we had P.E. up until it was required.
2: Yeah, we up had P.E. until e.
3: my, through my sophomore year in high school. So what I'd say is that there was definitely P.E. several times a week. Um, we also played around outside all the time, um, at least through grade school. That tapered off a bit, a bit during junior high years. Uh, still had the PE classes and then you know junior senior year of high school I'd say it just really dropped off and then it picked up again in college and then it dropped off for me and then it's it's picked up again um late 30s into my 40s now so yeah you're a
2: soccer player you play regularly
3: yeah yeah but even before that it had it had picked up because you know now at this age you start having concerns about you know Health yeah. and making some lifestyle changes can uh, eliminate a lot of those problems. So, but yeah, in high school I know it dropped off, and then in college it picked up again.
2: I was pretty active right up and through right up through college, and probably a couple of years after college, and mm-hmm. then it gradually tapered off. And I mm-hmm. need to reintroduce more exercise. But that's you pretty got sad that about, treadmill yeah, in your office. <laughs> I do, but I'm waiting for a couple of parts that were not I functioning. Broke, broke yeah, in. you did walked in first day. Oh, look at this <laughs> clunk and. uh I haven't been able to. <laughs> that,
3: that really
2: happened. <laughs> yeah, it did. that
3: part was not on there very good. <laughs>
2: yeah, blame the part. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I
3: felt bad about that you for so a good week. By.
2: And to be honest with you, I enjoyed him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed him <clears throat> feeling bad about it more than I was concerned about him yeah. actually breaking My brand new treadmill that I haven't been able to use, but I'm not bitter about it. Okay,
3: what did you think was sad? (laughs) Enough.
2: (laughs) Hey, Vancouver is planning on celebrating the 4th of July quietly
3: this year. You said something was sad.
2: Oh, I just think it's sad that kids these days aren't as active and that there's a cost to it later in life. You're not we're likely to become way more active as you get older. Yeah. It, it, it tapers and off. We're,
3: we're working to try to make sure that Aria mm-hmm. gets quite a bit of activity. So that's that's good. Yeah, but, And yeah. she
2: may not be able to rely on school to do a lot of that as she gets I know. That older. bothers that's, me a little yeah, bit. No longer. But there's so many extracurricular things for kids to do. Yeah. It's a little bit sad because you used to be able to do most of that in school, so it didn't cut into your evenings and weekends. Yeah. But yeah. there's been quite a shift in its economics and a lot of other issues as well. But I was saying that Vancouver's yeah. planning on celebrating the 4th rather quietly this year. Those of us who live on the Oregon side of the Great Columbia would always look to the um, to the north and know that in uh, Vancouver, you guys had fireworks that we could only dream of. Well, that's no longer <laughs> the case. Uh, Gene Marlowe, owner of Mean Gene Fireworks outside Vancouver, says he doesn't think the city's fireworks ban will stop people from buying them, but he is annoyed at the new law. It's kind of ironic that we are celebrating our freedoms and then they... Take them away from us," he says. "It doesn't reflect what the majority of citizens want. I don't know what the majority of citizens want, but we like to Peace imagine that we Quiet whatever, after ten <laughs> yeah, p.m. That's probably true. We like to imagine whatever we think is what the majority wants. But Vancouver, uh, Vancouver Fire Marshal Heidi Scapelli says the uh, complete ban on the sale and use of fireworks within city limits was necessary. The more urban we become, the more populated we become. It's too much risk for our community. Uh, to risk these devices uh, coming into the city. Scapelli says fireworks have been proven to increase fire danger are a noise nuisance and scare pets into running away. The new law will be enforced with zero tolerance and violators will be hit with a minimum $500 fine. We have a conglomerate of fire deputies and officials going out during firework season, she says, or he says, whatever Scapelli is. Some residents in Vancouver think a few irresponsible people ruined things for everyone else, which is probably true. Um, we' uh, It seems like people shoot them off all year long, says one resident. If people stop doing that uh, we 'd be better have a better chance of being legal. He says he doesn 't think the ban will have any effect on the celebration from past experience when Cities have bans that just forces people to go other places to get them. Scapelli says that she expects most people will obey the new law. Some will not.
3: So they just can't buy them in Vancouver now or it's they not, can let them off in Vancouver? It's not but,
2: uh, altogether clear yeah. to me. I know that you're not supposed to buy them there, but I'm hmm. not sure about... Using them, And I know in Oregon, you can buy some kinds. You just can't buy what you used to go to Vancouver to get. Yeah. So the I'm stuff not sure what can, do uh, yeah. I don't think
3: you can take stuff that goes airborne
2: Absolutely. Although yeah. I see them all the time. Oh, yeah. It's, you know. Uh, another surprising story. Uh, just how clean is the Willamette River? It is the cleanest it's been in a decade. I saw that. The city says, according to the city of Portland, it's cleaner uh, than we've seen in a long time. Clean enough for swimming. The city knows this because... It tests the water weekly. Every Wednesday between the months of May and September, a field technician with the Bureau of Environmental Services collects a water sample from the river. That sample is then tested for E. coli. So far this summer, the tests have shown bacteria levels well within safe limits. The safety benchmark is 406 E. coli colonies per 100 milliliters of water. Last week's test showed an average of 6 E. coli colonies per 100 milliliters of Portland water. But
3: that still means that there's... its
2: there. It's just Stuff smaller in number. The yeah. Water. Oh. yeah. Well, you got all kinds of stuff going don't, on. Don't don't drink it.
3: Just don't drink We're it.
2: We're here to answer a question people commonly ask, and that is, is it really safe and clean to go into the Willamette River, either swimming, boating, or kayaking? And the answer is, according to Diane Dulcan, the spokesperson for the Bureau of Environmental Services. Yes, but even though the water is cleaner, it's still colder than uh, it normally would be this time of year. Also, the current is still very strong, so safety precautions beyond whether or not the water's clean should be observed. Emergency responders advise anyone swimming in the river to do so with a buddy and at the very least bring a flotation device if you don't choose to wear one. Uh, the fact of the matter is when people get in trouble, there's very little time uh, for us to actually affect a rescue. That's a quote from the Portland Fire and Rescue um, uh, lieutenant. Uh, so if people are right there and they're not able to perform some kind of rescue or at least throw them something that will allow them to float until, they can, until help can arrive, um, then they're not going to make it. So they're telling us to be very careful and use flotation devices.
3: Yeah. Be oh, careful. Let's
2: see. Oh, I wanted to warn you um, that the World Naked Bite uh, Day is coming up on Saturday here in Portland.
3: Tomorrow. It's tomorrow?
2: At least it's not on Sunday. I, I have to say I'm at least glad of that. You know, it's going
3: to be so hot.
2: You're it's going to be so... Put stick, something... You're th- going to stick to that Bottom seat. line, put something on. <laughs> Ugh. I, I, seriously, <laughs> to. <there's one. laughs> you look upset like I'm this. Just, no, that's my disgusted look. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm beyond upset. This is disgusting. <laughs> Whatever you name it, thousands will do just that on Saturday as the Rose City puts on its own iteration of the 2017 World Naked Bike Ride. This year, thousands will meet at, um, they're going to be at Fernhill Park in northeast Portland at 8 o'clock p.m. The National Weather Service forecasts a high of up to 97 degrees, and I hope every single one of their backsides gets a burn they'll never forget.
3: I'll be playing That's soccer, so I'm not going to be able to make it this year, but. Uh. Well,
2: they don't tell you. <laughs> You're like, what?
3: What? <laughs> No kidding. You I, I, I don't talk. I don't go.
2: <laughs> the thing is, they don't tell you where the route goes or what to, you know, so you can avoid it. The whole idea is that you can't avoid it because you don't know where it's going to be. But I want to warn you that's coming up on Saturday, so
3: starting at your, 8.
2: Bring your dark glasses and stay indoors. You may want to anyway because it's hot, but Yeah. I wish we had time because I could go on this whole naked bike you know, ride thing. It's so ridiculous. Just think
3: the heat stroke that could happen. What a what a mess for emergency services to have to respond
2: to that. <laughs> we've got a thousand burn victims here. <laughs> yeah, put some cloth on that. That's all I can say. Put, put a little something on that. Okay, we've got news, <laughs> news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. We'll be back.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Brought to you in part, ladies and gentlemen, by our good friends at Zero Res. James Blend is engineering this hour of today's program. And Jim, I know Jimmy, James, whatever your name is, uh, I know that you have had a bee in your bonnet for some time, and I wanted to give you space to talk a little bit about uh, what's bothering you with regard to your culinary preferences and your New York upbringing.
4: Well, I mean, you know, there, there are certain things that do bother me, I admit. But, uh, you know, there there was an instance. Uh,
2: that... This isn't about me, is it? Because no, I it... know I'm on that list. You're most of the list. Um,
4: <laughs> <laughs> uh, one through eight, uh, Georgine, this happens to be number nine <laughs> on the list. Um, the, um, I recently had the opportunity to go get some pizza here in town. And I, I shan't name the pizza place in question. But there's one of those pizza places, you've been to them, that, that name their pizzas, you know, like, you know, they have a name, as opposed to the pepperoni sausage pizza, it's the, the Hillsdale Highway, you know, or something, mm-hmm. you know, the regional name, or, you know, grandma you know, who made this recipe, you know, all, all those different things. And well, they had one called the New Yorker. So, of course, that immediately oh, gets go. my my New York mind attention. Now, mind you, you know I I don't get to enjoy pizza quite the way I used to, being you know stuck in the the world of gluten free. But a good sauce, a good cheese, and I can still I can still get down with a good piece of pizza. Um, the New Yorker lists. Uh, okay, it's got pepperoni. That's fine. Ooh, pepperoni, absolutely. Sausage. Sausage. Great. Good New York flavor. Black olives. Black um, olives. Com- common
2: topping. Black olives matter. Go ahead. Pineapple. Yeah. What's wrong with pineapple?
4: Okay, if you are in New York City and you are in a pizza place that offers pineapple as a topping, you're in a tourist trap. (laughs) You are not in a genuine New York pizza place because they will stare at you until you walk out the door very uncomfortable.
2: So pineapple has become a very uh, popular condiment, if you will, on a a pizza. Yeah, This is not a New York flavor. This is the Hawaiian pizza, one of the major elements. And And so, I
4: mean, it's, you know, notwithstanding that it is probably the more shunned topping um, when it comes to the New York pizza, wow! To actually shunned. to actually put one on a pizza called the New Yorker, that, let's just say it's a good thing a, a more recent
2: uh, uh, person who have emigrated from New York didn't find that first. <laughs> so pineapple is a no-no if you happen to be a pizza aficionado from the East Coast.
4: Um, well, I wouldn't say East Coast. I know people in Florida who love pineapple on their pizza. So I mean that's technically East Coast, but. You know, if you're from you know that you know the the place where New York pizza is native, it, it's not a common topping. But it was more the 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 placement of it on that particular pizza that was particularly irking. And of course, I, I actually on that particular day, I come back to find out that the creator of the Hawaiian pizza is from. Well, he had passed away. Oh, that's, that's, I'm, I'm
2: sorry, my that, condolences. Yes, my my. Um, from Canada. He pizza was from Canada. and Canada don't seem to quite go together. Well, it certainly
4: explains what I couldn't figure out about the so-called Hawaiian pizza. Why Canadian bacon? Ah, I'd always kind of wondered that. I see. Why was
2: it Canadian
4: bacon? Well, of course, that's bacon in Canada.
2: And then you add a little pineapple to that. And you, you have a kind of a sweet and salty pizza. Now, if you are from New York and you're something of a pizza snob, do you actually shun people who enjoy a, a Hawaiian pizza or what? what's the protocol there? I know you uh, said that I if you're do. in New York, you'll be st- stared down and, um, you know, perp walked to the door. But what's the uh, what's the protocol there?
4: And, and don't think I haven't asked friends to order it just to see what would happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't shun. I don't believe in shun. I, you know, I, I even got over the fact that my wife occasionally likes to have one, uh, a Hawaiian pizza, that is. Yeah. Um, but uh, the um the thing was, uh, yeah, especially I've seen it in the world of social media. Um, there are definitely people who are active in the shunning of those. <laughs> Go who, for yeah,
2: Canadian not, bacon,
4: Canadian bacon, and pineapple on their on their pizza. You I know, did run the the concept of a New York quote unquote pizza named after New York with a pineapple, and yeah, generally got um emojis of disdain. Wow. Put it that way.
2: You don't want to generate emojis of disdain. Well, you know these I, days I think
4: they're going to be here in Portland on tour next month, though. So if you want to the check out of of the, the emojis of disdain, it sounds like a group. I love their bass
2: player. Yeah. Um, uh, these days we live in a very decadent era. It's not yes. enough just to have pizza, where you have you know you either have sausage or you have pepperoni, maybe a Hawaiian pizza. Now we have to have pizzas of every description, and some of the stuff that they put on the bread that's called pizza just really doesn't fit the uh the genre if you will
4: i think the one thing i i thought was a number of years ago i was traveling and i happened to have a connecting flight i think it was through atlanta and it was early in the morning it was it's one of those red eyes going back to the east coast and so you're going through atlanta airport about six in the morning and i noticed that Sabaro is open now Sabaro's ch- chain of pizza places all the portland area they make an essentially a fast food New York style kind of pizza. a
2: pedestrian pizza
4: yeah it's it's a fast food version of a New York style pizza um, but uh, I was like thinking to myself well I really don't want a slice of pizza but uh, you know, hey it's six o'clock in the morning why not I wander over and what do I see but a pizza topped with egg and cheese and bacon and I'm like it's an omelet on a pizza I believe that this is blasphemy of some <laughs> type Somewhere, somebody, this this can't be right. Well, the thing is, the, there was a breakfast the pizza. idea
2: is if you put it on a crust, you can somehow call it a pizza. Now, I have a list of some ideas. Okay. And being a New Yorker that knows something about the real pizza, right. I want you to tell me, thumbs up, thumbs down, is this a pizza? Would you eat it? Would it cut it in New York? Okay, the uh, first one is... the thumbs, up, thumbs is,
4: down may not translate well to the radio, though. Just, well,
2: you can just say oh, okay. thumbs up or thumbs down.
4: I could do that. I you, can do that. Yes.
2: <clears throat> okay, what about this? Mushroom fontina, which is a type of cheese. Right. A pizza with an egg on it, fried egg on the top.
4: I don't think I could do the fried egg. The Mushroom is a great topping. Font- Absolutely. You know, I, You know, sometimes I'm in a mood for something kind of what I guess they would call an artisan pizza. You know, it's more... Higher end, you know, toppings. I think Fontina is
2: fine. Yeah, Fontina is fine. But do you really need to put a fried egg on it? You do not need a fried A pizza fried egg. does not need a ga- fried egg on it. And I'm not even from New York. What about this one? Pizza with Swiss chard, sausage, and mozzarella.
4: Now, obviously mozzarella is, a, I mean, that's like the most common thing on a pizza. Uh, but, you know, not Swiss sausage, no. I, I think it needs to be limited probably to Italian sausage. Okay,
2: try this. Flat bread. No, this is Swiss chard, which is a type of greens, so it has greens oh, yeah, on yeah, yeah. the top. It's like oh, a spinach no, only. No, 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 no. Yeah, no. really? Do you need that on your pizza? And call it no. something else if you do. Okay, flat bread pizza with pesto, corn, goat cheese. That's two separate things. Corn, goat cheese, and sun-dried tomatoes.
4: You know, the thing about it is, is each Ugh. one of these pizzas has been acceptable except for one topping overall. It's kind of funny. It's one topping from being okay as some type of pizza. But so what's the, the,
2: what's the one you'd throw out, the corn the or corn. the goat cheese?
4: Uh, the corn. I, I, goat cheese on an artisan pizza is acceptable. I don't like it myself, but it's acceptable. Oh,
2: artisan pizza. That just... Yeah. Uh, barbecue chicken skillet pizza. Uh,
4: okay. Thumbs up, mm. thumbs down. Yeah, a lot of people like the barbecue chicken thing on pizza these days it seems. I
2: just, you know, if I want barbecue chicken I have barbecue chicken. If I want pizza I have something else. I mean, I, don't...
4: I don't mind occasionally having chicken on my pizza, but I don't think I'd want it barbecued. The barbecue sauce would just com- seems like it would conflict too much with the uh with the pizza sauce. Okay,
2: what about this one? Peach ricotta and honey grilled pizza. That's too sweet. That's too much sweet right there. I know it's supposed to be a dessert pizza, but I, I don't know why. Why not just have the the peaches and the ricotta in a dish? Why do you have to put it on a pizza uh, dough? Uh, bacon and egg pizza, which you said you yep. had. Um, I, I did not. I did not partake, but I have seen it visually. It does exist. I'm sad to report. They say leftover pizza for breakfast is good, but this is better: bacon and egg pizza. No, I like bacon, like eggs, like pizza. I don't want to have all together. What about the Cobb salad pizza? Oh no, 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 no! Why no, would no, you? No, no. Why would you do that? Yeah. Is it because you don't have a bowl? You don't have utensils? I, I don't get it,
4: honey. We're out of plates, honey. We're out of bowl. How about that flour
2: and water? We'll make a pizza crust. Pizza crust. Uh, it has the lettuce on it. It has the avocados. It has uh, boiled eggs. The chicken. The bacon. The dressing drizzled over the top.
4: No. I mean, that's like the the, the uh, unfortunate relative of the bread
2: bowl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what about the spinach artichoke pizza? Does that cust muster in New York? I don't think it would. Uh, I don't okay. think so. I admit I have not been back in a while, but uh, I don't think it would. Now this one's just wrong. It's the cheesy bacon broccoli pizza. Oh, that, don't even finish that. That doesn't sound right. Yeah, sorry. Got big uh, florets of, of broccoli Big chunks of red uh, red pepper, big chunks of bacon. It just it looks like a salad without the bowl, as we mentioned earlier. What about the Tex Mex pizza? Again, it has shredded lettuce, it has avocados, it has whatever sauce you would have for Tex Mex. Just doesn't uh, doesn't quite cut it.
4: Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I could go for that. But I mean, it doesn't sound. Hor- Let's just say it
2: sounds less horrible than some of the others that you've mentioned. Then there's the Spanish tapas pizza. Spanish? It's topped with um, manchego. I have no idea. Okay. Onions, peppers, full of tapas-inspired flavors. Eh.
4: What is... What was that first? You said you had no idea. Manchego?
2: Yeah. M-A-N-C-H-E-G-O. I'm guessing it's a type of cheese. It I have is no a idea. Type
4: of, it is a type of cheese?
2: Described how? Um,
4: or thusly? Let's see here. It, it is is a... Um, from the La Mancha region of Spain made from the milk of sheep in the Manchega breed and it's aged it looks like a softer cheese mm-hmm. so I'm guessing it would be shredded much like a mozzarella I would yeah. guess
2: Okay here's another one for you uh, Moroccan pizza it's sweet and savory it's um it's got looks like jalapenos it looks like green onions uh, chicken, some vegetables, uh, and these are green olives. I, I'm not sure I'd want a green olive on a pizza, but that's another uh, option. Morocco, R- Moroccan pizza. Again, trying to be exotic, trying to be artisan, and uh, I don't know, just doesn't sound appealing to me. And I like Canadian I bacon think, and pineapple.
4: I, I think the uh, I think the phrase the kids use as a figure of speech is
2: "I just threw up in my mouth a little." <laughs> that, that's that's. Kind of how it, yeah. Hope that's only a figure of speech. Yeah. What about the cheeseburger pizza? Now, it seems to me you have a cheeseburger or you have have a pizza. You don't have a cheeseburger pizza, Uh, but it has on it all the things you would expect. I don't see the pickle on it, but I don't know why you wouldn't have that. Cheeseburger pizza. This seems like a confused option for those who don't know what they want.
4: Yeah, I think you're probably correct.
2: What about figs, rosemary, and parmesan grilled pizza? Run that again? Figs, rosemary, and Parmesan grilled pizza. Now, it seems to me, uh, again, you don't know what you want. I don't know if this is a dessert pizza. I don't know what kind of pizza it's supposed to be, but it's grilled, and it has slices of figs along the top. The cheese doesn't cover the surface of the bread. It's sort of shaved the Parmesan, shaved over the figs and the rosemary, and uh, it's being called pizza. Not so much. A New York assessment?
4: Yeah, no. No, just no. No, please, no.
2: What about the ham and cheese pizza?
4: Okay, this could be promising, perhaps, because ham is a—I mean, ham
2: is not that far off from Canadian bacon. Like, I mean, but okay. What type of cheese? Doesn't say, but uh, looks like it has slight slivers of apple on the top. I'm not certain of that, but that's what it looks like. That—that that would be a no then. Okay, here's you, one for you. Go ahead. That's apple pie, not. <laughs> it's got a crust. It's got apples. That's pie. Yep. Uh, sweet potato, kielbasa, and red onion pizza. Now the crust is a normal crust right? and there are uh shaved um there is rather shaved sweet potato, kielbasa and red onion. Yeah overall again I think the uh um he's speechless.
4: It's certainly not something I mean I I don't think that would taste horrible. I don't think I would eat it, but I don't think that would <laughs> taste horrible. Okay, chicken, artichoke and blue cheese pizza. No, 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 no. I know I know some people do like blue cheese on their artisan pies um but uh that
2: no. What about this one? Lemon and smoked mozzarella pizza. A little smoky, a little zesty. First of oh. all, is it pizza? And secondly, does this taste like it? And they actually lemon. S- they sliced the lemon very thin, and the rind is still on the sliced lemons on the pizza.
4: No, 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 yeah, I'm no, not no, really no, feeling no, that. No, 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 no,
2: no. Okay, hummus and grilled zucchini pizza. We're using the uh, word pizza rather broadly. For the purposes of this show, we really are um,
4: to, the, to the tune of. Actually, I just realized we're about three minutes over for our break. <laughs> <Okay>. So. <laughs> Let's let's reconvene on this in a couple minutes and uh, decide how disgusting
2: it is. Yeah, I (laughs) I need to take a minute or two to cleanse my palate. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're asking a New Yorker what constitutes pizza and what does not. We'll be back in just a few moments, so stay with us.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is engineering this hour of today's program. Now, James Blend is a New Yorker. He's a New Yorker at heart, and when it comes to pizza. He's a bit of a New York snob. He may try this or that, but he can tell you what constitutes real pizza, what does not. What will get you um, laughed out of a pizza joint in New York and what uh, will get you in with the crowd. So we're going through a list of pizzas that are, I'm not sure we can say popular, but these are pizzas that are being made. And I would question whether or not pizza in the classic sense of the word applies to some of these, but I'm asking James to give us a thumbs up or thumbs down audibly, of course. Uh, On uh, whether or not these would pass muster in New York, or for that matter, a New York bowl. Well, there may be on that uh, hamburger pizza. There might have been mustard. I don't know. Okay, what about this one? Turkish ground lamb pizza. Uh, By the way, it's uh, baked with an egg on top. The egg
4: automatically. I mean, no wrong, I adore lamb as a meal. I I, I'm I'm a big fan. I don't get to eat it very often, but I mean, a nice leg of lamb or a nice lamb shank, and I'm I'm a happy camper at at a nice big dinner. But, uh, no, not on my pizza. I couldn't do it.
2: Okay, uh, what about this one with mashed potatoes on it? It's sweet potato. They are cooked and mashed and spread like you would a tomato sauce on the base of the pizza. Balsamic onion and soppressata. So it's sweet potato, balsamic onion, and sopressata pizza. So many no's. Yeah, I'm not sure I want mashed potato on my pizza,
4: but that's just me. I don't think I'd want potato on my pizza. And I I say that as as we actually had a discussion here in the office a couple weeks ago when a a co-worker uh, uh, had showed a picture of a pizza that happened to be a pizza in Italy, and um, the the pizza had french fries as a topping.
2: Yeah, well, here in the U.S., french fries are served with burgers and sandwiches, certainly not uh, as a side dish or, for that matter, a topping for pizza. But as you pointed out, uh, in Italy, these pizzas are now being topped with tomato sauce, mozzarella, uh, and fried potatoes. Seems a bit strange.
4: Well, what's even weirder is the, the translation for that type of pizza is the Dutch pizza. So you have a pizza in Italy with French fries on it called the Dutch.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure I get it. If you add cocktail hot dogs, apparently they call it the uh, a Viennese or Vienna-style pizza. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, I'm not going <laughs> I, for that.
4: The, the, these... <laughs> I, I, you created the pizza, Italy. Repent now.
2: <laughs> well, while you still have time to turn. Yes. Okay, what about this? I'm assuming it's a dessert pizza. The two things don't go together as far as I'm concerned, but nonetheless. I agree.
4: It, it, it seems that the dessert pizza to me was created by uh, uh, you know, pizza chains trying to make an extra buck on
2: dessert. Yeah, you've already had your pizza, now have another slice of pizza only with sweet stuff on it. Okay, there's blueberry, feta, and honey caramelized onion on naan, which is that Indian flatbread which I, I love non. The only thing but... in that
4: mix, I mean, and it's not, by no means it's a New York thing at all. It's it's definitely more of the artisan side. I do like a good feta on a, on a pizza occasionally. It's a nice nice little crumbles of feta on top. It, it adds a nice little flavor, but the rest of it, no.
2: Now I have to warn you before I explain this next one that my all-time favorite pizza that they used to make at the California Pizza Kitchen but have removed from their menu, and I, I'm still struggling with uh, forgiveness uh, with regard to that, Um, this is the shrimp scampi pizza. Oh Mm -hmm. my goodness. Love this pizza. Can't find it anywhere. Your thoughts, Mr. New York.
4: It's either shrimp scampi or pizza for me. Okay. You're through. I kind of figured.
2: Yeah. Okay. Here's one. Grilled cherry, goat cheese, and arugula. Who comes up with these ideas? One wonders. I, you know, the, the, no, just no, no. And arugula, of course, is that kind of bitter green that, um. It looks more like the dandelion foliage, you know, not the yeah. flower itself, but the stuff that comes off the dandelion. And then you add the uh, the cherries, and they're grilled, and add goat cheese, and I, I, I don't know why I would want that. Okay, what about the Sloppy Joe pizza, which is kind of what they used to serve when I was in grade school. The pizza was more like a Sloppy Joe pizza, and I loved it at that time. But now that I'm a mature, grown woman, not so much. Your thoughts,
4: Mr. New York? Uh... Boy, you know, I, that sounds like something, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it sounds like the pizza equivalent of SpaghettiOs.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's about I think, right. I think
4: that's what, I, I think that's kind of where I would put that. The pizza equivalent of SpaghettiOs, something that's really tasty until you're six and then you grow up. Yeah,
2: we've grown up. Uh, we, what about this have? one? <laughs> well, at least beyond that. Okay. Strawberry, balsamic, and goat cheese pizza. No. No. I, I,
4: honestly, fruits and berries are just, uh, just, I don't think there's any that I would accept on a pizza.
2: Now, when they're describing it, they say it's your new favorite way to eat strawberries and it doesn't involve dessert. I don't know what it would involve, but there's no protein in this thing with the exception of a little bit of fat protein in the cheese. But it's just not, um, not doing it for me. Nor
4: should it. That's just
2: wrong. It's just wrong. Well, so far, you haven't uh, embraced many of the pizzas that we've been uh, bringing to your attention. I have one more for you, and I want to know what you think. Waiting for my computer screen to move on. Um, Oh, that's it. Okay. That's it. So the question I have for you, uh we, we talked about different ones. If you had to pick, what's your favorite? Shrimp scampi pizza. Made with lots of garlic. A garlic, uh,
4: you know, I I am the type of person I will take as much garlic on a pizza as you can humanly put on there.
2: Yeah, it covers a multitude of sins. Garlic. I mean,
4: it, you, know, you know, there there are places I, around here where you could get uh, a little garlic rub put on the on, on before they put the toppings. Oh and then, yeah, and then some whole roasted oh, cloves yeah. on top, and it's like that's that's my idea of happy. Although
2: roasted loses some of its pungency, so I I prefer it more fresh. I so prefer if it cooks it more too fresh, long, but, you but lose it. At the same time, when
4: when you're out to lunch with coworkers, it's probably well, for the best. Well, midday,
2: you're absolutely right. Yeah. So, what's your favorite all the time?
4: My favorite, and I can't have it any, anymore because of the the gluten involved. But uh, my favorite, and it's you don't get it very many places. It's it's a quote unquote New York topping meatball.
2: Huh. So it's, it's like meatball. a spaghetti meatball. No, meatball? Ju- no,
4: just yeah, the, yeah. But uh, sliced, kind of like so it looks like pepperoni on a pizza, only larger. And their meatballs, kind of sliced thin, cross. Oh, I sliced. see. They're sliced.
2: Yeah. yeah. I've never seen that.
4: Yeah, that's my. That is my favorite. Huh. Barring that, I'm I'm a uh, a mushroom person, and when I really want to be obnoxious, I admit this. I love anchovies.
2: I like anchovies and other things. I've never had it on pizza, but I love mushrooms, black olives, and uh, Italian sausage if it's flavored well. Maybe a little pepperoni.
4: That's why I I really do dig, despite the fact it's nowhere near a New York pizza. A lot of these places that have popped up where you can, you know, you buy the pizza and you put on whatever mm-hmm. you want yeah. and then they cook it up for you real quick. Um, it, it allows me to be adventurous.
2: Thin crust, thick crust? Uh, depends on my mood. Ah. So what's more
4: typical in New York? What kind of crust? The type of crust, it, it, there are two types of New York pizza. People don't actually realize that. They think of the big round thin crust pizza that as a New York pizza. And that's actually Neapolitan. It's, it's from Naples. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the Sicilian, which is my favorite. Which is square and thick. Um, so, so, so is it
2: like uh, thick as in, you know, very bready, or it's just like a, okay. I very like a. Bready. I don't like it particularly thick, but I do like the crust to be bready. You know, it's it's got to be a really good bready kind of a. Yeah, and it, it the the ones I like are there's some where it's like an inch thick, and you're like I don't just, care for that.
4: Yeah, it, it's got to be no more than a half inch.
2: Yeah, all right, no more
4: than a half inch. But that's my that's my absolute happy place: a Sicilian pie with meatballs on it.
2: You know, I just feel like I'm so much closer to you now that we've really bonded over the subject of pizza. And if ever we had a lunch hour (laughs) um, and we went for pizza, I think I would know what to order you. Exactly. I would order you to get mine and bring it to the table. As well I would. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm glad we cleared that up. Um, You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break and we will. I promise we'll be back.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, after we've, been, after we've been talking about all this pizza, it might be a good idea to share this little story. The question was being asked Does marriage make men gain weight? They might ask the question, does this marriage make me look fat in these pants? A new study suggests, well, that is the case. The dad bod, as they're calling it, became famous a couple of years ago after a college student wrote about it and social media and the regular media, media rather, swiftly blew up over it. And the convention is that once married and free of the pressures of the single market, married people can let themselves go, if you will, and let a few pounds slide on. Both of these phenomena are largely confirmed by a new study that's looking at weight fluctuations in men and the life events that seem to affect a man's body Mass index over the years. It's also um, it also weighs in on the psychological theories that might explain them and arrives at some interesting conclusions. But the bottom line is the dad bod is in the researchers who carried out the study, Joanna Sidra from the University of Bath, uh, looked at data from about eighty seven hundred men who were a part of a panel study of income dynamics which had participants fill out questionnaires every couple of years on a range of variables from income to demographic to body characteristics like BMI. Over the course of the study, 24% of the men got married, 12% uh, ended their marriage, and 39% became fathers, which allowed correlations between BMI and life events to be drawn. Well, it turned out that married men did weigh an average of three pounds more than single men. Not a whole lot. Not a huge difference. But a statistically significant difference for married men. For example, there was no increase in weight when their wives were expecting, but there was a slight increase in the early years after their child was born. Interestingly, men lost a couple of pounds shortly before and after their marriage ended. The author notes that this may have been more to do with the stress of a major life event than the transition from marriage to singlehood. Well, the um, study author says that the findings support a couple of different psychological theories, Um, The marriage market theory suggests that unmarried men may stay trimmer in part to attract a spouse. Social obligation theory posits that people who gain weight because of social obligations associated with marriage, like parties and dinners with friends, both of these theories are supported by the patterns found in this particular study. Well, other theories like marriage protection theory, which suggests that people who stay trimmer while married because of the increased social support that marriage brings are not supported. Well, earlier studies had looked at women's weight around the time they got married and how uh, their husband's weight affected theirs. Uh, but this is the first to look specifically at men's weight around marriage, having a child, or moving on. The study had a couple of shortcomings, including the fact that it only looked at marriages with male household um, heads, which may make the findings uh, more of a generalization. But it's still useful to know that the fluctuations do exist, even if on a relatively low level. For individuals, she writes, it is useful to understand what social factors may cause weight fluctuations, especially common ones such as marriage and parenthood. Although, I'm not sure the study is all that accurate, that only three pounds uh, difference between those married and unmarried. Being aware of potential risks will allow individuals to make informed decisions, for example, like what pizza would be in their best interest. Now, the size of the most of uh, rather the size of most of the estimated effects is below half a bmi point the equivalent of 3 pounds for an average male in the united states if those who are who participated were being honest and accurate in terms of their own weight fluctuations in other words 3 pounds may not make or break your health over a long term but it's um, it's helpful to know that some of the trends we joke about anecdotally do in fact exist so that we can take them into account and maybe correct for them should they uh, get out of hand so that 3 pounds today might be six pounds tomorrow, nine pounds a few years from now, and so on, so on, so forth. So maybe you want to limit the amount of pizza that you consume um, if that's your thing. Jeff Wrights is an Air Force veteran. He launched an online blog cataloging his daily visits to California, and that California man visited Disneyland for the 2000th straight day on Thursday five years after he received an annual pass. He's getting his money worth. Uh, His daily blog is titled Disney 366. After attending the park's One More Day at Disneyland Leap Year promotion, he was given the annual pass to the park in Anaheim as a gift while he was unemployed in 2012 and decided to visit the park every day for five and a half years, even after he returned to work. It's been a positive. It's been a motivator, he says. It's been a workout, Jim. This past year, I've lost about 40 pounds. Well, he utilized the $1,049 Disney Signature Plus Pass, which allows him to visit one or both of the Disneyland parks for about $3 a day. That's less than most people spend on a cup of coffee, he said. When you use it every day, that pass is a no-brainer. And while he has uh, been a familiar face at Disneyland for years now, his 2,000th straight visit made him an instant celebrity at the park. People see me, but until now, cast members would think I looked familiar, but now they know who I am, he says. I come, I talk to people, but no one put it together until today. Well, his daily visits to Disneyland helped... uh, I helped him stay positive while he was searching for a job, but ultimately became something even greater. Coming to Disneyland every day started as me trying to stay positive when you're job searching. It's not about beating the sidewalk to find a job anymore. You're online in front of a computer. It can be depressing, he said. It's part of my life now, and has grown into more than I expected. So he's spending uh spending time at Disneyland every day and has for the last two thousand Uh, days with this one more day at Disneyland leap year promotion where he won the uh, annual pass to the park in Anaheim as a gift. Now, How many times have you been to Disneyland? I have been zero times. You've never been. I'm fixing that uh, two weeks from today. Well you got a little girl to take with you. She will love that. I hope she'll remember. I know my parents took my sister and brother and I to Disneyland when we were quite young and I have pictures of it. I don't remember that trip at all uh, and I've, I've been back since but what a fun place to hang out! I think Disneyland is still a pretty safe place to take a family without uh, the risk of being exposed to something that your kids aren't quite ready for.
4: I think so, and uh, we're we're definitely looking forward to it. And you know, I'm not looking forward to the expense involved, but other than that, it should.
2: Yeah, be it fun. is pretty spendy. Um, it's a small world after all. Are you planning on going on that ride?
4: I've been told that's expected of me. Yes.
2: Yes, it is expected. I think I uh, mentioned that when Dan Rice and I went several years ago. Now he refused. He didn't just decline. He refused to go on the ride with me, and I felt an obligation. You have to go on that ride if you're at Disneyland. I went on it all by myself. And if you think it's annoying when you're with other people, try riding the thing by yourself. It's bordering on unbearable. But I did sing along and smile all the way through until I came back out the other side to see Dan Rice looking on from the outside. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will uh, wrap things up.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, we're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. I want to give you a quick um, heads up on some of the guests we're working on for next week. We're going to be talking with uh, Rick Langer. He's the co-author of Winsome Persuasion, Christian Influence in a Post-Christian World. We'd actually intended to talk with him this week, but because of events involving Dan Rice, I ended up leaving before we could get to that interview, so we have rescheduled that, and we're looking forward to uh, that conversation coming up, so we'll share that with you next week. We're also looking forward to um, talking with, and I'm trying to get this on my screen very quickly, we're going to be talking with um, Larry Swigert. uh, He and historian Dave Doherty are the authors of The Politically Incorrect Guide to the American Revolution. Some things you may not know we'll be talking about next week. We're also looking forward to a conversation, and I'll mention this is scheduled for Thursday, with Johnny Erickson Tada. She is celebrating, or at least commemorating, the 50th year of her being wheelchair-bound. Now, that may seem somewhat odd to celebrate 50 years of being um, bound to a wheelchair, but if you know anything about her life and the ministry that she has been called to, the struggles she's faced in the process of ministering to the world— Uh, You know, this is reason for celebration. And so we're going to talk uh, with her about that and the fact that on this uh, 50th anniversary, they're reissuing the Johnny movie. You might remember that movie from many, many years ago. And if you uh, don't remember it, this is a great opportunity for you to be introduced uh, to that movie that was very popular some 50 or 40 something years ago. Anyway, we're going to talk with Johnny Erickson Tata on Thursday, and we're looking forward to that. Well, we know that we are in the midst of a heat wave, so get ready for a very hot weekend. We could be in for record-setting temperatures in the Portland area during the three-day heat blast that started this afternoon. Um, high temperatures will likely exceed 90 degrees today. I know in my car earlier it was 91 degrees, but you can't always rely on those. That's just the warm-up, however. Temperatures could reach triple digits on Saturday and Sunday. Saturday's record high temperature is 96. Sunday's is 101 degrees. The National Weather Service issued an excessive heat watch uh, from Saturday afternoon through Sunday evening. If you have uh, elderly um, neighbors, uh, folks in your church who perhaps are not uh, being looked after by or looked in on by other folks, make sure they're well taken care of during this very hot weather. Hot weather fills the gorge, pushes all the way to the coast uh, Friday and Saturday before an onshore breeze kicks in and cools off the beaches, so that might be one place to go. We'll have to wait until Monday for that cooler air to reach the valley, however. Kickoff for the Portland Timbers home game against the Seattle Sounders was moved from Sunday afternoon to Sunday night for that very reason. That's due to uh, heat concerns, but temperatures will be uh, near 90 Degrees at about 7:30 p.m. The kickoff uh, for that game. The Hillsboro Hops moved uh, their Saturday game to 7:05 and their Sunday game to 6:05 again because of the uh, the temperatures. And again, the cooling centers will be open this week in Multnomah County and elsewhere uh, if you need a place to just simply get uh, get cooled off. So keep that in mind. But we're expecting some record temperatures. Uh, in the Portland area. By the way, the Oregon Humane Society is warning pet owners about dangerous heat this weekend. Some tips. Keep your pets inside with plenty of water. Give outside pets lots of shade and plenty of water to drink uh, if it's uh, not possible to bring them indoors. Don't leave your pet alone in the car. For that matter, your kids, either the inside of a car heats up to dangerous temperatures in minutes on an 85 degree day. A car's interior uh, temperature can climb to 120 degrees in 20 minutes, even with the window slightly open. So dogs, kids don't do it. Don't walk, jog or play fetch with your dog during the heat of the day. Instead, walk and play with your pets in the cool of the evening or in the morning. And that's going to be quite late uh, on Sunday for in particular. And don't let your dog ride in the uncovered pickup bed during the heat of the day. The sun heats up the metal truck. Uh, the bed and can burn your pet's paw pads. So keep that in mind, by the way, symptoms of heat stroke. And we hope none of us has to witness that or experience it could include restlessness, excessive thirst, um, heavy panting for the dog, not you, uh, lethargy, lack of appetite, dark red tongue or gums, vomiting and a lack of coordination. So contact your veterinarian. If your pet exhibits these symptoms, And by the way, if you exhibit those symptoms, you might want to call somebody as well. Not a good idea. Finally, I wanted to let you know that House Majority Whip Steve Scalise, who was shot and critically injured during the GOP congressional baseball practice last week, was transferred out of the intensive care unit to MedStar Washington Hospital on Friday. Uh, Scalise, uh, Republican out of Louisiana, remains hospitalized. There was no change in his condition, which was upgraded to FAIR on Wednesday. And that's very good news. Uh, Scalise was shot in the uh, in the hip when a deranged gunman with an anti-Republican lean opened fire on the 14th at a practice field in Alexandria, where the GOP legislators were practicing for the congressional baseball game the following uh, day. Four others were injured during the assault, but the gunman. Uh, was the only person that was killed when he was shot by authorities. Scalise is 51, still a young man. He's uh, represented Louisiana's first congressional district since 2008. He's married. He has two children. His district includes New Orleans. Since he was uh, in leadership, he had uh, a security detail with him at the baseball uh, field when the shooting began. The two officers present have been uh, repeatedly cited as the critical factor in why the carnage wasn't worse. Scalise was in critical condition when he was taken to the hospital and has undergone on several surgeries. My understanding is uh, some of the Capitol Police, at least one other, was in critical condition earlier. We don't get the updates on his condition, but uh, my understanding is everyone is doing much better than they had been. So thank you, Lord, for that, and keep praying for um, Representative Scalise and his family. All right. Well, I think you got the lineup for next week. I want to thank Clark Hilton for engineering today's program, James Blind for engineering a portion of and producing all of today's program. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night.
1: Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at gRice Show and like us on Facebook.